3: Thank you for listening to Depictions Media Radio.
1: Good afternoon. My name is Adrian Dix. I'm BC's Minister of Health. To my right is Dr. Bonnie Henry, BC's Provincial Health Officer. This is our COVID-19 briefing for Thursday, January the 7th. We are honoured to be here on the territory of the Lekwungen-speaking people, the Songhees and the Esquimalt First Nations. There will be a written briefing tomorrow at uh, uh, approximately 3 o'clock providing uh, information about case counts and other relevant information about COVID-19 in British Columbia. And uh, with that, uh, and then on Monday we will be back here in the press theatre to provide uh, a briefing on COVID-19 on that day. And with that, it's my honour. To introduce Dr. Bonnie Henry.
2: Thank you and good afternoon. Uh, Today, we are reporting 761 new cases of COVID 19 diagnosed in British Columbia, uh, bringing our total number of people with COVID 19 to 56,015. Of the new cases, 94 people are in the Vancouver Coastal Health Region. 484 people reside in the Fraser Health Region, 23 people are on the Vancouver Island Health Region, 96 people in Interior Health, and 64 people in the Northern Health Region. We now have 6,349 active cases in all areas of British Columbia. Uh, 372 people are in hospitals, 74 of whom are in critical care or ICU. In addition, uh, there are 8,849 people, plus uh, some additional from Northern Health who are under, act, uh, under public health monitoring. And 47,374 people are now considered recovered. Sadly, we've had an additional eight new deaths from COVID 19 in the past 24 hours. All of them are seniors and elders from long term care in Fraser Health, in Vancouver Coastal, and in Interior Health. That brings the total number of people in British Columbia who have died from COVID-19 to 970. And our condolences go out to the the families of these eight people and all of our people who have died from COVID-19. We know that their families, their care providers and their communities mourn the loss of their loved ones and we feel your loss, as well. We have one new health care outbreak at the long-term care home on the island health area, giving us 51 active outbreaks in long-term care and assisted living and 10 in acute care. That involves 2,333 people, 1,501 residents, and 752 staff with active cases right now. Um, Since the start of our immunization program, we have now, as of yesterday, have provided a vaccine to 41,064 people in every health region across British Columbia. Um, As we know, the burden of COVID-19 has been particularly heavy excuse me on our seniors and elders and those who care for them and that is where our focus has been and will continue to be for the next week or two here in British Columbia as we use the vaccine that we receive and we're going to continue to focus as we say to try and protect those who are most at risk in these first few weeks with the limited supply that we have And We will be expanding that as we talked about on Monday, as supply becomes available um, to ensure that we can um, protect as many people as possible as quickly as possible. Um, I also wanted to give an update on uh, the UK variant that we reported on our first Detection of a somebody who had traveled from the U.K. into British Columbia with that variant. Um, that person has remained in isolation. However, we have now two additional cases, both uh, household contacts of the first case. There are no other contacts, and we do not believe that anybody else has uh, is at risk of of this variant. And I will also say that we have been continuing to do uh, surveillance and testing of uh, variant of isolates from people who have traveled and also a selection of people from around the province on an ongoing basis so we have not yet found any other cases in BC with this variant although we continue to monitor and to test so today uh, there was a, a couple of things that uh, that happened um, there will be uh, from the first time we've had COVID-19 cases almost, almost a year ago in our province, we've tried our best to share the latest information about the pandemic. We know it's important. It allows all of us to understand how we are progressing, how the pandemic is affecting us, and the trends we are developing, so we can make our own informed choices about our personal actions and the actions that we are doing collectively. Over the past few weeks, We have been trying to automate at least some areas of the collection and reporting of our daily case numbers. As a result, there will be some changes to how the data will be reported going forward. To streamline one aspect of what is a challenging, complex, and labor intensive process. And you will recall in early December and in November, we've had some challenges with new information systems being come online with some applications and challenges in reconciling numbers from different health authorities. Our new system is going to be based on automatically reporting lab confirmed cases from the previous day, plus reconciling with the health authority cases, particularly epidemiologically linked cases, to provide more timely reporting of data. So, as you know, the BC CDC dashboard and data tables are our source of truth, and they are where all the corrected information will go. And they will now start being reporting by our lab result date. So this is a bit technical, but for those people who are following this closely, most of our epi curve on the dashboard has been by what we call reported date. So that's the date that the health authority receives that report and starts the investigation on that individual case. They then pass that information back to the BCCDC to provide that the provincial level um, update and consolidation of numbers. So we are now doing it, uh, we are taking away one piece of that and having the lab report both to the health authority and to BC CDC directly so that we can have a, a more um, a timely reporting of the lab cases. There will be an adjustment in tables to reflect the fact that the lab results may be uh, um, slightly more it may come on a different day than what the reported result is usually there it's within a day or two, so there'll be slight changes and we're gone back and moved all of the cases from march uh, from January uh, of twenty twenty up until today onto this new uh, lab reported date. So for those who have been looking at the epi curves and our seven-day rolling average on the ongoing basis, it will look slightly different with some of the numbers uh, moving uh, backwards or forwards by a day or two. There also is a slight increase that we've seen in case counts today and for a few days as the new system kicks in and the previous lag that we used to have from positive result to reported case is eliminated. So, as we know, uh, every day the numbers are from a time, a cutoff, they are a snapshot in time and they get updated and verified and corrected as more information comes in. And as so, there will continue to be fluctuations in our numbers as cases are verified. So, for example, if uh, a case is reported in Interior Health today and then we find out it actually is a person who comes from another province, that case would be removed. That's why it is important for us to also pay attention to our trends over time. The seven-day rolling average being the one that we watch very carefully and the daily case count, as I said, is just a snapshot. But that, day, that rolling average helps us understand our trends as we're moving along. Importantly, what remains the same is every case is still counted. And every person who is positive is still notified as soon as possible. And contact tracing and follow-up and particularly to identify new clusters and outbreaks continues as usual. In addition to the daily reporting, we will be continuing with a number of weekly reports and adding two new reports. So as you know, we provide our PPE report, the surgical renewal and the healthcare hiring report. Our weekly surveillance report from BCCDC comes out on Wednesdays, and that has the details around ages and uh, uh, some of the epidemiologic information broken down by health authority, the granular information by local health area, etc. And also, we'll be adding weekly vaccine updates um, by health authority and a summary of long term care outbreaks, um, which came out today. Are you going to talk to that? Yeah, okay. I think I know people are wondering what is going to happen. Um, And like every part of Canada and countries around the world, the risk of spread of COVID-19 remains very high right now. And we are seeing new cases and clusters and outbreaks emerging around British Columbia, around Canada and around the world. Here in BC, we continue to monitor our pandemic And we will continue to do all we can to protect our province as we always have been. In the last days, we have seen a slight increase in our cases, and our curve is trending upward. Now is our time to stay the course. We know what we need to do to bend that curve back down. We have been successful in doing that prior to this winter break. And we need to do that again. As a result, our current provincial health officer orders on all gatherings and events have been extended through to February 5, 2021, at midnight. This means that the same requirements that we have had, including restrictions on social gatherings in people's homes, on all events in public venues and private venues, and the restrictions on sports activities continue to apply. We are closely monitoring our progress and if further action is required, we will take that. If we see positive um, trends in our cases and our hospitalizations and we see a lessening of our impacts, we will monitor that as well. Right now, we need to hold the line. Our public health orders The next two incubation periods are important to ensure we are doing all we can to keep everyone in our province as safe as possible, especially now that we have vaccine. We are in this period of greatest risk and greatest potential benefit, and we need to have the room to provide vaccine. These orders enable our health care system our schools, our essential workplaces, to continue to stay open. This is important for all of us, for our mental, physical and emotional health. We know that transmission is less likely to occur in these in controlled environments that have their many layers of protection in place. It's what we do outside of these environments, outside of our home and in our homes and workplaces that is a concern. We know the vast majority of people in British Columbia are doing the right thing. And we saw that with many people who put aside their celebrations and travel over the holiday season. However, the number of new cases we are seeing in every health authority shows us that some people made the decision to make an exception for themselves. It may seem inconsequential. It may not have been done Um, with the understanding of the impact it could have. But if 10,000 people, a few people in every town, every village or city in our province, makes these small concessions for themselves, that increases all of our risk exponentially. That's why, no matter how tired we are, we must stop and rethink and redouble our efforts now. This virus doesn't know that we haven't seen our friends in months. It doesn't know that it's our grandmother's birthday. It doesn't know when we let our guard down, it's transmitted. And it's not intent. And this is what we are seeing now. Things like gathering for lunch at work with people you work with, small parties with friends who have just returned from Europe. The virus reminds us how interconnected we are. And we have seen this. Over the past year. This is a global pandemic. A variant that arises in the UK affects us. Surges in Quebec, in Ontario, in our neighbours in Washington State and Alberta affect us. But our pandemic is unique, and we know what we need to do in BC. This is our riskiest time right now. We cannot let our guard down as vaccine. Is just beginning. This is our winter, but we know that spring will come. Right now, I want everybody to reach out virtually to support each other. We need to protect our seniors and elders even as we're moving along with our immunization program. But it's a time for each of us to commit to our own individual heroism young and old, and I know we can do this. We can do this because it makes a difference for our family, for our community, and for our profits. And we do this here in BC with compassion. We go outside, we walk together, we support each other, we go for a distance walk with our neighbour or our friends. It's compassion and understanding that we need now to get us through these dark days. We can all look forward to the end that is in sight, and it is in sight. But we must act now to get there sooner and to protect those we care about and to protect those we don't know. Without a doubt, there are brighter days ahead, where thousands more will be immunized for COVID-19.
3: In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: The weather will be warmer and the spread of the virus will be slowed. But now we need to work together knowing that what we do will make a difference for all of us tomorrow. The actions you take today make a difference. And I want everybody to take those actions that we need to do to support each other. We need to t- go out, do something kind for somebody. Make, uh, make an effort to support those people in your community who are suffering. We know this time of year is challenging. We know that people need support. And we know that it's going to be a while until we can get back to the, the types of activities that we really want to do. We need to continue to be kind to each other. We need to have that compassion, to recognize we don't know everybody's story and to stay calm and that's what will keep us safe through this winter.
1: Thank you very much, Dr. Henry and uh, thank you uh, For your continuing work and service on this issue, it is an extraordinary thing to witness every day. I wanted to um, pass on uh, my condolences, that of the government, I think that of everyone, the province, the eight people who passed away from COVID-19 in British Columbia in the last day. We we say this, but I think it's important to reflect in these times when we are extending uh, health measures to deal that in effect. Stop some of our ways of coming together as a community. And for those eight families, for those eight communities of caregivers, for those eight communities, for those communities of friends of the people who passed away, it means that not only has this occurred in these very difficult circumstances, but that people are unable to come together and grieve in the way that we would want to grieve, that we would expect to grieve. So we want to hold all of those families, all of those people and their memories in our thoughts today. I am uh, note um, that we have uh, 761 new cases of COVID 19 today. That there are 6,349 active cases, which is about the same as yesterday and slightly less than in previous days, but still very high objectively. 372 people in hospital, less than yesterday, but generally the highest levels we've seen. 74 in critical care. That we've now provided 41,064 doses of vaccine, and what all of this demonstrates is the extraordinary work, the remarkable work, the generous work of people in our healthcare system, and I salute them today and all of the people supporting those that are going through, um, uh, are dealing with COVID-19 in whatever way they're dealing with it. Dr. Henry. Uh, with an extension of the orders to February the 5th and uh, this is clearly a necessary thing given what we're seeing here and given what we're seeing elsewhere we do know that the impact of COVID-19 now and over the course of the pandemic has been especially felt in long-term care today we are providing and I believe it's now been posted I hope it has and I apologize to people in the media for that delay information about uh, about outbreaks in long-term care and assisted living in BC i think there are there are 51 current outbreaks and so what what people will be able to see by care home is the size of the outbreak the number of residents the number of staff who have tested positive for covid-19 and the number of people who passed away in that care home and uh Every one of those people and every one of those families going through outbreaks. And this is something that, um, as an individual, I know about and I know what it means. But also, um, in every case, from the Lynn Valley um, outbreak that was our first long term care outbreak through Harrow Park and Royal Arch Masonic in the spring, through all of these outbreaks, the losses uh, have been um, terrible for families and for friends and for caregivers and for everyone in long-term care. We wanted to provide this information and we will provide it every Thursday. So We will be updating the facility information every Thursday so that people who have been asking for this information will be able to see it. I think the actions and the work that has happened in BC in long-term care relative to other jurisdictions has been very good and our results relative to other jurisdictions have been good and this is partly because of all the measures that have been taken but i don't think that people going through any of these outbreaks whether it's currently at little mountain or any other community in uh, in bc or any other care home in bc is really that concerned about how they're doing in ontario or quebec they're worried about their family their loved one their community their care home and so am i and so we have provided this information. It is a subject of con- continued focus and concern to limit the size of those outbreaks. And also, it has been the focus of our effort to provide vaccination to those care homes. And you're seeing that and you're seeing reports of that. And that is the focus. The overwhelming majority of vaccinations that have occurred in BC so far have been for people in long-term care and for people who work in long-term care. Because, and all of these numbers show why we need to have that focus right now. And so that information is available. And we will have a few more minutes for questions as well later today in order to ensure that people have the opportunity to ask the questions they feel they need to ask. Equally, I wanted to just announce briefly and this is a more technical question but an important one and one people have been asking about. Is that there is an updated visitor visitation policy for long term care and assisted living. There's not a fundamental change in the number of visits or social visits, which continues to be the same, but it provides a more clarity and consistency across long term care homes of all kinds in BC around what is an essential visitor and how. And how that policy will be applied. So, we have a policy that will be laid out. You're able to see it right now. It's up on the Ministry of Health website and on other relevant websites, so you'll be able to see changes in the essential visitor policy. This will provide, as I say, more consistency across care homes because there has been justifiable concern about that, uh, not just um, from families and residents, but also. From workers and providers themselves, so this provides consistency and it also provides a clear pathway uh, when a family or a person disagrees with a decision not to allow an essential visit so I encourage people to review that um, now with respect to um, with respect to our surgical renewal commit commitment we talked about a lot about it yesterday, so I 'm just going to keep that very uh, simple and say that um, that uh, 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 health authorities resumed uh, non-urgent surgeries on May 18th. We've now completed a combined total of 207,828 surgeries as of January 3rd, 2021. 161,658 were urgent and non-urgent scheduled surgeries, and 46,170 were unscheduled or emergency surgeries. We've updated the numbers from December 14th to 20th, just the pre-Christmas uh, period. Health authorities now verified their data, and the total number of surgeries that was completed in that week is 7,247, which is 140 more surgeries in a pandemic than the same week last year. From December 21st to January 3rd, which is a broader period, we're reporting we completed 5,723 surgeries. That is 239 more surgeries than in the same um, two week period last year, again, when there was no pandemic. Very briefly, just to say that we've hired additional people in contact tracing. The number of people hired is now 1,313. That's 16 more than last week, and significantly more than our target, which was 1,224. And so, all of those things are. Uh, and so, as we provided a lot of information today, just want to say, and finally, and this is reflected um, in the situation in long-term care in our province. And so, why. All of the policies that have been put in place from single site to resources directly to providers to uh, increases in in, uh, the support for staffing, the people that have been hired to support that to the infection control measures, all of those things. And still, and yet, we are saddened by the enormity of loss of our seniors and elders. It is, I think, a feeling of sadness and of loss that should stay with us for some time. I know it does. For me and for us, every single day, and it will stay for with us for a long time. It is our time and our place to mourn, but it's also a call to us. It's why it's so important right now that we dig in and follow the guidance and follow the orders of the provincial health officer. Our summons right now is to re examine our choices, reconsider our plans, rethink our activities, redefine our connections, and reshape our ideas. All by asking ourselves a simple question: Against a virus that lives to spread and spreads to live, are we chasing it out of our lives, or are we inviting it in? I want to thank and continue to thank as we continue to work with spiritual leaders and faith communities across our province under the direction and with the assistance, I should say, of Dr. Robert uh, uh, Robert Dom and others. But I want to thank faith communities for all they're doing right now. I understand. I think we all understand, and I in particular understand, your sacrifice, the sacrifice of losing the opportunity to come together so fundamental to faith communities of all kinds. We have been guided by your thoughts and your advice and your generosity. And we don't want these orders to be in place one minute longer than necessary. But they are necessary now. Today is a challenging day in our fight, but it's also a day for us all to come together and continue to commit ourselves while we provide more and more immunization with the amounts of vaccine that we have. That we all dig in to do everything we can to keep one another safe in this important time. Aujourd'hui, nous annonçons 761 nouveaux cas qui ont testé positive for COVID-19, a total de 56 15 cas en Colombia britannique Nous sommes attristés d'annoncer huit nouveaux décès liés au COVID-19, pour un total de 970 décès en Colombie-Britannique. Nous offrons nos condoléances à tous ceux qui ont perdu leurs proches durant cette pandémie. Euh, 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 parmi l'ensemble des cas confirmés de COVID-19, 372 370 personnes sont actuellement hospitalisées. hospitalisées 64 en Merci beaucoup. Thank you very much. We're happy to take your questions.
0: Thank you, minister. As a reminder to everybody on the phone, please press star 1 to enter the queue. You are limited to one question and one follow-up only. I would also ask that you please take your phones off mute. You're not audible until your name is called. First question today is from Ashley Wadwani, Black Press. Thank you.
5: Hi, Dr. Henry, Minister Dix. Um, With vaccinations now underway, I was hoping you could speak to um, how community or herd immunity works. Um, Have we determined a certain threshold or percentage of British Columbians um, to determine what this kind of immunity would look like and what other factors exist when it comes to national and international vaccination levels um, and particularly how it pertains to uh, Phase 4 in BC's restart plan?
2: Sure. So I think to start with the last question, BC's restart plan was for last year. We're now into a completely different phase of the pandemic. So we are looking at the end of the pandemic and what will that mean. But part of that, of course, hinges on what I prefer to call community immunity or herd immunity. So with this virus, with the level of infectiousness of this virus and we use the reproductive number as an estimate of that, an average estimate of that. It, it the the modeling tells us that somewhere around 60 to 75% of the population needs to be immunized so that the virus can't find somebody who's susceptible once uh, somebody becomes ill and that's a way of, of protecting those around those who can't be immunized for example so we are a long way from that and that's either people are immune because they've been immunized or because they uh, have had natural infection and we're a long way from that anywhere in the world. But, and we are not in a place where we're even striving for that yet because of the limited amount of vaccine that we have in this first month, the uh, first few months of uh, quarter one of. of 2021. The amount of vaccine that we are expecting and we still don't have a guarantee yet of that but in Canada and in BC we have a limited amount of the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines that will be coming in the coming months. And that's why we have focused. It's not enough to achieve herd immunity. It's about a little under 10% of our population. So, our focus in this phase, in quarter one, is using those vaccines to protect those people who are most at risk of getting ill and dying from COVID 19, and um, making sure that we're protecting our health care system so that it doesn't get overwhelmed and we're able to provide. Health services for everybody else. So that's the primary focus for these weeks. That's why we're focusing on long term care because we know that's where this virus is most devastating. So we started with people who work in long term care because we weren't at first able to move the limited amounts of Pfizer vaccine we received. But now uh, we are moving out the Pfizer vaccine after the the company has given very specific directions of how to do that um, to make sure that this product remains stable and wor- and works. So, we have been in this past week um, very actively going out to all long-term care homes in the in the province. Uh, we're not at 100 percent yet, but we're getting there, and the, that is our absolute focus for the next few weeks. As well as key healthcare workers who work in COVID wards, ICUs, emergency departments, paramedics who take people back and forth from long term care, people who go into long term care to help manage outbreaks. So that's been our focus. And as you know, of course, uh, um, some of our uh, most at risk remote and rural communities. Vaccine. as we get more vaccine, and right now uh, on the horizon are a couple of vaccines. There's the AstraZeneca vaccine, the Janssen, Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Um, but they are not yet approved for use, and we do not yet uh, have any indication that we would get them before March. So the contracts from what we are told from the federal government, the contracts for both of those products are for uh, quarter two of 2021. So that's uh, April and beyond. Once we get those vaccines online, they are ones that were much more, they're, they're much more, um, usable in terms of they are fridge stable. And so that's our usual immunization programs. So we can start aiming towards that community immunity. Once we start having uh, enough vaccine and enough types of vaccines that we can get it out.
3: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, prohibited by law, C terms and conditions, 18 plus.
2: To pharmacists and physicians' offices and workplaces and others. And so those are the things that we are working on and that we will be uh, coming up with and, and providing you with details on in the coming weeks. Oh, excuse me. Okay. <coughs> Next question is from Gordon
0: Hoekster, Vancouver Sun.
4: Thanks for taking in my question. Um, there's, there's a difference of scientific opinion about uh, whether the second dose should be extended past the date set in the trials. I, I think that's 21 days for Pfizer and 28 for Moderna. I know BC is a, said that they could extend that up to 35 days. I'm interested in just knowing in some more detail about the thinking around this decision, you know, how the risks and the delay will weighed against inoculating more people
2: yeah so I think there's a couple of things here and and it, it is um, it, it is something that us in in people who work with vaccinations, immunizations uh, are very familiar with this type of um, dosing and programs, and uh, there are minimum. Intervals between doses, and then there are, are very rarely maximum intervals before you have to restart a series, as it were. So this is a two-dose series, and we are committed, as uh, um, as we have said repeatedly, to everybody getting their second dose. What we do know, um, with the limited supply that we have, and looking at the data that has come out of the clinical trials, both for Pfizer and Moderna, and we've looked at that data in some detail in our Clinical and immunization experts at the BCCDC and we have a BC immunization committee who looks at that, as well as the national advisory committee on immunization who looks at those clinical trials and the raw data from those trials in detail. And what that data shows for both Moderna and Pfizer is that two weeks after the first dose, the protection is very, very high in the 85 to 90% range. And then the second dose, within a week of the second dose that goes up to the 95%. So it tells us that once your body has developed an immune response, you have very high protective levels and these are amazing protecting levels when we look at um the levels we get from influenza immunization for example they're around seventy percent and we would have been happy with that but to have these very high protection levels very early on with these vaccines it really proves to us that these new platforms for delivering um, an uh, immune response to the body work and work well and so what we have looked at also from the trials is the time periods that people were given the vaccine in the trials and uh, for the Pfizer and Moderna, the, uh, the, for the Pfizer in particular, the outside edge was, I think, 48 days and, uh, and there was no diminution in protection in that period of time. In the Moderna, it was very similar. It was actually a little bit longer. I think it was up to somewhere in the 50 or 60 days after the first dose. So the manufacturer, when they provide the information to Health Canada and the details, they have a recommended dose interval. And their recommended dose interval is uh, 21 to 28 days. Pfizer so Pfizer had initially said 21 days Moderna was 28 days was the recommended ideal time frame um, but they've adjusted so that it can be aligned recognizing that complexity of systems make it challenging so both of them said somewhere around 28 days Moderna it was actually up to 35 days anyway that there is a range that is safe for using these vaccines and that has been uh, upheld by the UK vaccine um, uh, expert committee, as well as NASI. so there is a minimum interval. If you give it too soon, it doesn't have that boosting effect that you want to have. The other thing that we know from immunology is that um, if you delay a dose for most vaccines, that gives you a more a stronger and longer-lasting um, effect. We don't know that. There is no data for that for these vaccines because the studies were done to try and Finish them as soon as possible so they had a minimum interval between the two doses being given. But there's a very real probability that there will be a conferred benefit from slight delays in the second dose. That is under investigation both here in the monitoring we're doing in the UK and elsewhere. So the bottom line is, it is what we have done is we have an emergency operation center structure that Dr. Ross Brown and myself are part of are, are running. And we have a process where all of the scientific information is pulled together from our immunization committee, and then the recommendation is made, and we look at the operational issues. So, as you know, um, the vaccine that we're receiving through the federal government is back end loaded. We are getting small amounts of doses in the first few weeks, and then more as we go into February and March. So, that meant that we would have to keep doses in fridges if we went with a strict 21 days. And there is the balance of evidence that we have on being able to protect people, the very high short-term protection that we get from the first dose after two weeks. Um, and the fact that uh, we were getting more vaccine to be able to give second doses within a reasonable time frame that was in the trials. So that's kind of a long-winded way of saying we looked at, we did an ethical review, we looked at the data, we looked at the modeling of how many people we could best protect, and we looked at the operational issues of how much vaccine we're expecting to get at what time. And we made the decision that we would uh, look at 35 days as being the standard. Um, and if we get vaccine as expected, um, people who received their their doses in December and January will receive dose two around 35 days from their initial shot. And we absolutely uh, the science bears out that that this is a reasonable approach that maximizes our ability to protect more people during this the most. Um, infectious and uh, a period where we have the highest rates of transmission. So it is a balancing, but we absolutely did an ethical review, and that decision was made with all of those pieces of information in mind.
0: Gordon, do you have a follow up? Yeah,
4: I do. Um, how do you expect this policy in place throughout the vaccine rollout, like to the end of the year or to the fall, and will it be extended to all vaccines? You mentioned that there are obviously others that are in trial
2: right now? Um, it, it will really depend. Um, it will be for the first few months, um, given what we know about vaccine supply. If we get a lot more supply, then we absolutely will try and do it on the optimal schedule. So we will also be very much evaluating this as we go. If there is any signal that people are not getting the protection they need because we are delaying by a week their second dose, then we will change that. So it's really important that we do monitor these things as well around the world. We're monitoring, you know, how long does this protection last, and we don't know the answers to those things yet. So in some places, uh, the UK is looking at, you know, at the level of protection people are getting out to 12 weeks. Uh, we know that some people who only who don't come back for their second dose, and we can tell if they've ended up with infection. So these are ways of of helping us understand. We can. We are also will be looking at whether one dose is sufficient, and um, that's something that the company is looking at. Uh, We are, as I said, committed to doing a two-dose program here in BC, and the minimal delay that we're talking about for the first couple of months is well within the safety parameters and effectiveness parameters. So it will depend on on what we learn about these vaccines in the coming months. It will also depend uh, the new vaccines that we have. Uh, some of them are single dose uh, vaccines um, programs, and we'll, we'll the Janssen Janssen or the Janssen Johnson and Johnson one, um, in particular, has is their clinical trials has three arms. One of the arms is a single dose, so it'll be great if that worked. Um, and there's some really good data that the UK has from AstraZeneca that showed that the people who got the doses later. Um, So missed uh, for operational reasons, didn't get their second dose at until uh, eight, nine, or ten weeks. Actually, had better protection overall. So that's intriguing, and we need to learn more about that. Next question is from Prabhat Sohal, Red FM.
5: Thank you for taking my question. Uh, The province has achieved an incredible feat of completing nearly 90% of the backlog surgery. So my question is related to the surgical renewal strategy. I wanted to know that uh, since this has been achieved through having more staff and increasing operation hours, what is going to be the long-term effect of this strategy and do you think that this is sustainable and will continue uh, towards the end of the pandemic or after the pandemic? And lastly, do you think that it would eventually lead to reducing the overall wait times in surgery. I I could have your opinion and view on that.
1: Yes. Uh, First of all, this is part of a surgical strategy that's been in place for a couple of years. We very significantly increased uh, uh, the uh, hip and knee replacement surgeries. I think we went from a baseline of 14,250 in 2016-17 up to 2019-20 of uh, approximately 19,000 which is a very significant increase. Increased number of dental surgeries which is a priority particularly uh, for adults and children with developmental disabilities. And we dramatically increased the most significant increases in number of surgeries uh, that had taken place for many many years in that time including the 2019-20 year which and 2018 2019 year which were excellent and so part of the way we did that was applying more resources as you say, adding staff, adding operating room time uh, in addition to that um, in addition to those two important factors we increased and improved procedures in our system to make our system more efficient. And I think our, uh, our surgeons, our, uh, our nurses but also our healthcare workers those involved in it, our health sciences professionals deserve a lot of credit for that because a lot of what makes that successful happens before and after the surgery. The surgical renewal plan that's been in place that we talked about in detail yesterday and I recommend looking at those reports. Shows our commitment to addressing and to making up for the surgeries that were lost when, uh, when non-urgent scheduled surgeries, sometimes called elective surgeries, were canceled in March of of, uh, 2020. Uh, It's been an extraordinary success so far, and it's our expectation and intention to add to our increase in OR time. That will require, of course, uh, apply having more staff, but I believe. That if we continue to follow this path, working with our healthcare professionals and our healthcare workers, we're going to continue to have success. Uh, Michael Marchbank, who uh, I asked to lead this effort, I think has done an extraordinary job, but he didn't do it alone. It's everyone who's been involved in that. The idea that in a pandemic, in a second wave of a pandemic, that we did significantly more surgeries over the Christmas break than we did last year, and the week before Christmas, and the week before that, is a real achievement of our public health care system and it demonstrates our commitment to reducing those wait times. A commitment that existed before the pandemic but has been given particular emphasis given the cancellation of non-urgent elective surgeries in the spring.
5: Prop
0: John, do you have a follow-up?
5: Yes, I just wanted a clarification that uh, The current rate that you're going at, this, you believe, will continue. Uh, Like you said, you have before the pandemic. Also, you had this strategy, so you intend to keep these levels. And considering the the pressure on the health system right now, this will be continued.
1: Well, uh, this is an important priority. Uh, We know. And you see it whenever you see individual stories. We sometimes talk about the whole numbers, but the individual stories of people who wait for surgery and wait for health care are uh, are are important and often moving. So, uh, yes, it's our intention to proceed with the surgical renewal plan, which sees uh, 2021-22 as a more as a significant increase over 2020. 21 to reduce the backlog that was created by the delay in surgeries in spring and then continue to do that work and that's our expectation and continue which means increasing operating room time hiring the staff that we need increasing the efficiency of the system engaging with patients in a better way and the very fact of calling and engaging with patients over the past months i think has been extremely beneficial both to patients and to uh, and to our ability to provide the services so i think it's uh, i think the, sur- the success of the surgical renewal plan so far um, reflects well on everybody involved and on and demonstrates again why the public healthcare system Working in this case, and including contracted providers with the public health care system, provides the best responses to things like surgical backlogs.
0: Minder Sajjan, CTV. Hi there. Just wondering, with regards to the restrictions, will you be having conversations with um, churches, movie theaters, restaurants, and others who are impacted by this? And is there anything that they could do? to make sure that this is perhaps the last time they're included in this type of restriction or is this really a case of waiting for case numbers to go down?
2: Yeah, and and you know, it it is, um, you're absolutely right, it does differentially affect certain Aspects of our life. I mean, part of this is around all of us and our social gatherings in our home and staying with our households. And yes, we are engaged and will continue to engage with uh, faith and spiritual leaders. And uh, I've had a conversation with uh, uh, Dr. Rabbi Dome, and we are looking at how we can work together um, to support faith communities over the next few weeks and how we can best uh, find ways. To To safely come back together. But right now it's about risk of transmission in our communities. And we need to focus on those essential work on our healthcare system, on children being in schools, and everything else. We need to continue to take those precautions and not waver. Not waver right now when we have light in sight, when we have immunization that's coming, not as fast as we want, but it's coming. And it, we have to remember that we know how to stop transmission in our communities and we can do it. We have clusters in a number of communities um, where the rates have been going up and people are frustrated. And they're, uh, This is our time to be calm with each other. We have to remember that we can stop this virus and we need to do everything to keep our rates down now so that we don't see it rapidly taking off at this time when we have so much Potential with our immunization program as soon as we can get enough vaccine. Follow up, Bender?
0: Yes, I just want to ask you, Dr. Henry, about a Little Mountain Place and wondering what else you've learned about uh, the outbreak and how the virus spread. We are hearing reports that family members are being told that perhaps staff were coming in pushing through some COVID like symptoms because they were worried about staffing shortages. I'm just wondering if you can provide some insight more insight today about this deadliest outbreak in our long-term care homes
2: I know it uh, you know knowing what's going on at, at Mountain, um, Little Mountain and and a number of other um, facilities around the province. I don't know the details of, of that uh, around Little Mountain, but it would not surprise me. I know that uh, my colleagues, um, the care workers I talk to, the nurses I talk to, the physicians who work in this area, everybody, we have a culture of presenteeism in healthcare. And especially in care homes, where uh, we know that the people who work there are there to provide the best support they can to the residents, they care a lot, they become like family in many of these, uh, in many of our care homes. And nobody intentionally wants to bring it in, but we have seen that um, in many cases where people are in denial that uh, uh, that I'm sick. Or that this could be really this, or that it's affecting me, and that is why we have, a, particularly in outbreaks, um, we have regular testing of, of healthcare workers and staff at, at our, and residents at periodic times, at several times a week during the, during these outbreaks, to to pick up people when they may not recognize it, and also we need to really. Um, pay attention, it's hard when it's your home, when you're caring for somebody in what is their home, um, to make sure that you're using your PPE all the time. And that's the other part that we need to, that we work on with the uh, when there's an outbreak, making sure that people are trained again, that they remember to clean their hands, that they remember to put their mask on and off, that they remember to wear the the PPE that they need for the task that they're doing with individuals, and it's very very challenging.
0: Next question is from Richard Sussman, Global News.
4: Uh, Doctor Hunter, I'd like to ask you about uh, the. Top health educator, at UBC School population of Population and Public Health, he's now apologized for traveling to Hawaii. Uh, some students at the school are calling for his resignation. Uh, what are your thoughts? And should uh, people in positions of this regard, especially in public health, be setting a better example?
2: You know, I, I think we have seen that many people make uh, decisions that they may not um, recognize the implications of. And it's uh, it, you know I'm not going to comment on whether it was right or wrong or good or bad. I think we all need to recognize that this uh, this global pandemic is making us rethink things that we may have taken for granted. And right now, more than ever, um, we need to stay put. And not travel, and it really is—you know—the UK variant and the the angst that that causes. The fact that we're seeing changes in other um, parts of, in the virus, in other parts of the world—it brings home that risk that we have here, and how interconnected we are. And uh, I, I will just say that I'm <laughs> I, I know many of us um, spent our time close to home um, this holiday season and I'm very grateful for those people who did that.
1: And you know, I think especially uh, uh, this week reflecting on what we've seen in the United States and elsewhere, I think we need to remind ourselves that we're um, Well, we're Canadians. We live uh, in a world. And so when we travel to places, um, uh, it's important that we apply the same consideration and the same restrictions that we expect when people return home. Often when people talk about interprovincial travel and we ask people to stick to non-essential travel, we think about people from other provinces coming here, but of course people from BC go to other provinces. And uh, we take From here to there are circumstances here, and that would be true if we traveled to other jurisdictions. I think we just simply need to avoid non-essential travel right now. Period, and that's uh, uh, that's strong advice. But that's also uh, something that I think think overwhelmingly British Columbians have done. But I, I would say. That we do have a uh, responsibility to ourselves when we return home. This community, when we return home, to quarantine, which is without exception, I think it's fair to say there may be one or two people who do a certain work that is so essential that they may need to have that. But in in a general sense, without exception, and that we consider that when we're traveling to other places as well, particularly on vacation what our responsibilities are when we travel to the communities that we travel to.
0: Richard, do you have a follow-up?
4: Many British Columbians have been living under these restrictions now around a ban on social gatherings since the end of November, some since sort of mid to early December. We know there are rule breakers. The messaging has been very consistent and similar from you. So, are you not just punishing those who continue to follow the rules rather than those who decide that they don't need to follow the rules? Uh, what do you say to the mental health of those people who are committed to following the rules who are struggling through this?
2: Yeah, uh, I think I, I tried to address that a little bit. Today, in my remarks, you know, it is frustrating, and we, we want to just throw up our arms and say, you know, nobody's following the rules. But I think what we know in BC is that the vast majority of us are doing our best. And I would say most people are doing our best. And we somehow convince ourselves that it's just one little thing and it doesn't really matter. Um, And most of us uh, would look back and say, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And I don't think any of us have ever gone through something like this where we haven't wavered now and then. Which doesn't mean it's okay, it just means it's hard. And we have to have compassion. We have to understand that not everybody thinks the right way and they make tragic mistakes. Um, And I try and we can all do our best by trying to in a calm way support each other to do the right thing, making the right thing the easiest thing, making the right thing the socially appropriate thing to do, whether that's not inviting your family over or me giving you permission to say no, I can't come over. No, I can't go out with you. No, I can't do this right now. And we need our leaders and our families and our communities to support each other to do that. You know, We can't dwell on the the people who have made mistakes. What we need to do is recognize that we all have it in us now to do those little acts of heroism every day. And along with that, you need to find joy every day. This is a long road. And we've been, you know, I I did my triathlon (laughs) analogy, which people didn't like, but that's okay. You know, we're in the marathon, but we don't know when it's going to end. We have to pace ourselves. And the only way we're going to get through this is being kind to to each other because kindness is what helps us get through these days.
0: We have time for one more question for everyone listening. Dr. Henry and Minister Dix will release a statement this afternoon with the latest information on cases, hospitalizations and outbreaks which you can find at news.gov.bc.ca. For updated province-wide restrictions, visit gov.bc.ca forward slash COVID restrictions and for information about the province's new orders and pandemic supports, visit gov.bc.ca forward slash COVID-19. Last question today is from Tanya Fletcher, CBC. Dr. Henry, this question
2: is also connected to um, administering the second dose of the vaccine. What do you say to healthcare workers who gave informed consent to receiving that second dose,
0: twenty-one to twenty-eight days after getting the first dose, and they now say they feel as though they've been misled? Uh, should they be able to receive that first um, the second dose
2: um, that they had agreed to in that time frame uh, before the policy changed? Should they have that option? So the policy was on play from the beginning and what people consented to was a two-dose series with the expectation that or the recommendation is that it would be around 21 to 28 days. And we have this with all of our immunization programs, um, that there's sometimes operational reasons where things have to be moved from one you know, slightly. And this is well within the safety parameters that we know from the data. I didn't mention but you know the WHO has come out and said within 42 days is uh, a recommendation from WHO looking at the same data so this is not about um, misleading people it's about consenting to a two dose series which we are committed to and the operational issues of making sure that we can maximize the protection for those who need it and make sure we can give that second dose in a safe time frame given uh, the the um, the operational considerations and the amount of vaccine that we're getting.
0: Tanya, do you have a follow-up?
2: Yes, please. And if we could get an answer on this in French as well from Minister Dix, please. Uh,
0: We currently don't see teachers and firefighters listed on BC's vaccine priority groups. Uh, Both groups have been lobbying to be included uh, higher up in the rollout plan. So is the province considering prioritizing
5: those groups?
2: So right now, our priorities, as you've seen, um, are deal with what we're—the vaccine that we think we're going to get in quarter one, and the people that we can immunize with that vaccine that we're uh, scheduled to get—and that is the focus of um, that we've seen, which is long-term care, critical healthcare workers, um, key at-risk. Uh, isolated and remote communities, particularly First Nations communities, and people in the community over age 80. So those are what we're focusing on from now to March. After March, we are expecting to get more vaccines, different vaccines and more volume of vaccines. And we have not yet put out our uh, strategy for the second quarter and into the summer and and uh, and fall of 2021, there's discussions going on at the National Advisory Committee on Immunizations um, around practicalities and how we do this. And and believe me, it's not just firefighters; it's veterinarians, it's poultry workers, it's. Uh, um, There is a whole host of people, teachers, of course, childcare, there is many, many people in our community who need to be immunized and want to be immunized and our strategy is going to be how can we get as much vaccine as we are able to get into as many arms as we can and more details of that will follow. Everybody is still included on that list. We are not prioritizing people. We're not going to. We're going to be working through this collectively across the country in the next few weeks, and we will bring you. We'll be giving more details. I do want to say two other things, as I've heard some concerns as well expressed from people who are pregnant or breastfeeding, and we do have guidance for. For people, the recommendation from the National Advisory Committee that we have taken here in BC is that it's an individual choice based on your own risk assessment. So, a pregnant healthcare worker or a breastfeeding healthcare worker who works in an ICU may choose to take the vaccine over the risk that they may have from COVID. And we have some detailed information on the BC CDC website for clinicians because that is a discussion that a person has to have with their with their physician about their own personal risk benefit. And the same goes for people who are immune compromised. As we know, the two vaccines that we have right now are not recommended for people who have immune compromising conditions and those are very specific. And so it is not um, it's not everybody, it's some autoimmune disorders but it's mostly focused on, and and some people who are on um, immune suppressing medications at very high levels and it's also for people who are taking some types of uh, of cancer treatment for example right now as well in bc the, these vaccines are not recommended but again it, it's because they have not been studied so we don't know if people will mount an immune response. And again it becomes it comes down to a personal risk assessment, so people um, who are undergoing cancer therapy need to talk to their to their clinician about the risk benefit of receiving the vaccine so those are all things that are really important um, we have not forgotten people who are immune compromised um, and we will be uh, as the the evidence and the data comes about uh, different vaccines and new vaccines and we learn more about the two we have um, we'll be updating those as well oh,
1: okay. Tout une, c'est toute une réponse en français. Hein? C'est toute une réponse. Juste pour dire qu'on a pris des décisions pour la, les, euh, les premiers tours de mois de l'année. Des décisions très spécifiques. Et ce, Cela est bien en tout le centre de cette stratégie. C'est le, le système de santé bien entendu. Mais, mais aussi d'autres groupes, groupes qui sont les plus vulnérables dans la société. Donc c'est très clair d'ici jusqu'au 31 mars parce qu'on a une bonne idée. c'est pas absolument uh, spécifique parce qu'il y aura sans doute des changements. Mais on a une bonne idée uh, sur ok uh, sur uh, cette question. Uh, que, uh, quelles vont être uh, uh, le, le nombre de, de doses qui vont venir uh, de, de notre système national. Donc on sait ça. Et puis après cela, Quand on a plus d'informations, cela va informer les décisions d'après mars. Donc, on n'a pas pris ces décisions-là parce qu'il faut avoir des des renseignements euh, pas précises, mais enfin, les renseignements généraux sur la la totalité de de nos doses de vaccins pendant cette période-là. Donc, on a pris ces décisions pour maintenant jusqu'au 31 mars on sait bien les groupes qui sont impliqués dans cette décision. Ça va inclure, bien entendu, la population de ceux qui ont plus de 80 ans et d'autres. Et puis après cela, dans les semaines à venir, quand ça devient de plus en plus clair sur AstraZeneca, de Janssen et de d'autres vaccins, on va prendre d'autres décisions. Donc, je sais qu'il y a un élément de lobbying qui existe dans la société, mais il faut uh, suivre la, les principes. Uh, uh, tout d'abord, les principes de protéger ceux qui sont les plus vulnérables à Covid-19. Thank you very much. Merci beaucoup. Uh, we'll see you on Monday. Thanks
0: for joining us.
3: This show has been produced by Depictions Media. Please contact us at depictions. Media that media for more information.